as I get, I just want it to be you live from the CSB studios in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey on the MTR radio network. This is the past ball show brought to you, of course, by JohnPLA.com coming at you live. And just want to let you guys know that we're live for the first hour. I got the first uh, part of last week's show where I interviewed uh, Don Slott and Mike Hargrove playing in the second hour. Today is a very special day. My daughter, Alexis, has just turned seven, so today's her birthday. I want to spend some time with her, but uh, do want to let everybody know that next week over here on the Past Ball Show, we're going to be going live from uh, the uh, Hooters Open and we're going to try to remote broadcast for the first time. We'll see how that works out. Obviously, it's something to be excited about, something to be fired up about. Definitely, definitely good stuff coming on here. And uh, what we're going to do, we're going to get into some stuff right away. We got some stuff going on. If you check the local papers today, the New York Post today, uh, definitely uh, the Mets may or may not have some interest in guys like Giancarlo Stanton, Carlos Gonzalez. I do believe that there's interest out there, but we're going to get a better perspective um, right now because we're going to get a hold of one of the guys that wrote the story for the news, David Off. And as we always do here, we're going to dial out. We'll see how this thing works out. Hopefully, uh, if we get a voice message thing about Bobber, we'll all enjoy it because, you know, that's the way we roll here on the Past Ball Show on the MTR Radio Network. So right now, we're going to reach out to uh, Ken Davidoff. Is Ken, how you doing, buddy? It's John Pialli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. No problem. All right, man. First, uh, let's let's get let's get started. Uh, to you know, there's some some talk you hear about the Mets potentially having some interest in Giancarlo Stanton and uh, maybe Carlos Gonzalez. Let's, uh, tell us what you know. Hello. Yeah, Ken, you there, buddy? Breaking up on me. I'm sorry. You hear, you hear me all right now? Yeah. Do you want to call my landline? Actually, yeah. Actually, um, yeah. Can you just uh, now? Let's just go with this, man. You you hear me all right now? Now I can. All right. Sorry about that. Maybe it was just uh something on my end. I apologize. So we start out. We're here with uh, Ken David off of the New York Post. Now, Ken, uh, tell tell us what you know about uh, the Mets' potential interest in uh, Giancarlo Stanton. Twenty nine teams. Obviously, interest in Giancarlo Stanton. It's- not particularly dramatic that the Mets are interested. Every team in baseball would like him. Very true. Now, uh, now th- there's been some talk that the you know the Mets obviously like this would have to uh, give up. Let's say like Zach Wheeler and Travis Darno. You have a lot of other uh, you have a lot of other fans that were, are hoping that you could get them for somewhere less than that. I I don't agree. I'm sure you don't. Yeah, I'm sure you feel the same way. I do feel the same way. Yes. 
as as uh, as teams go forward, do you, how how aggressive do you think the Marlins are in trying to move Stanton, which really would be their final their final legitimate major league now type of player? How uh, how aggressive do you think the Marlins are in trying to trade him? Not at all. Yeah, so th- this is something where I mean, obviously the Marlins would have to be blown away to make a deal like this, right? Yeah, for now it could change as time marches forward. But as we speak today, April 11th, uh, they have zero to their trade. Yeah, very true. Now, once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with Ken Davidoff. Now, you think? Do you think that um, potentially the Marlins could think in any way that he may be the centerpiece of what they're trying to do in the future, and maybe be cl- behind closed doors or saying, "Listen, we'll we'll hear any type of offers, but we're not looking to deal this guy at all." Yeah, that's uh, I thought that's what we were just yeah. questions. Yes. All right, cool, man. Now, mo- moving on, obviously the uh, the attention is probably more on the New York Yankees than it is the New York Mets right now. The Yankees got off to a, a rough start, losing 2-3 or three against Boston and then losing a series. They came back, obviously, winning the first two games of the Indian series before getting rained out yesterday. Uh, what's your opinion on what you see early on in the first couple, first week or so with the New York Yankees? Uh, my opinion is uh, several guys are hitting better than we expected, including the Jordan Wells, Kyle Oberbay, Travis Hafner, uh, and and they just won't be able to maintain that uh, just because uh, no one could. And uh, you know, it's, it's really bottom line is it's hard to make much of anything over the first eight games of the year. But uh, you know, they're they're at 500. Even if they started off uh, one and four, that's not bad. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, all you hear from the Yankees with their the position players out, like Granderson and Teixeira and Jeter, is that to just kind of keep the seat warm, be competitive until these guys come back. Now, do you, do you think this is something that's that's legitimate? That think Hafner, a guy like Wells, can keep it up until let's say Teixeira and Granderson and Cano get back? Well, as we just said, they can't keep this up. The, yeah. the rates they're hitting at right now. Can they be productive, valuable players until those guys get back? Yes. And then let's make clear that those two guys you mentioned, Wells and envision them as part of the niche all season long. Yes. When everyone returns healthy. No, very true, man. Now, obviously, the key with the Yankees is going to be their starting pitching, whether the other guys are healthy or not. It starts with CC Sabathia. Now, he threw the seven shutout innings against Detroit the other day. Uh, which look so far you think he you think he, he's got a, a a solid season ahead of him or do you think maybe the injuries are, are something to be concerned about both <laughs> your, your two thoughts were not mutually exclusive uh, i think cc sabathia has earned the benefit of the doubt however is indisputably down and uh, was down last year and is now down further and that's uh, very much something to keep an eye on now, very true. Now, once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with Ken Davidoff. Now, Kevin, I'm Ken, sorry. Ken, uh, now, Andy Pettit, you know, he's a guy that obviously takes the year off. Come back last year and obviously early on this year. It seemed to be almost better than he was at a good portion of his career with the Yankees before. Well, what do you think are the keys to, to Andy Pettit being at where he is now as opposed to where he was before he took that brief retirement? Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, I think we just lost him. It happens, man. But yeah, I was Ken David off of the New York Post, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, I guess we lost him there. But you know, hopefully, we get him on a show sometime in the near future. But once again, John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network, and obviously, you, you, you never know what you're going to get here. And uh, you know, I think he has in regards to the Yankees. Um, you know, I was starting to talk about Andy Pettit, and I think Andy Pettit is really, really an interesting. Uh, piece here when it comes to the Yankees he he is extremely extremely important to what to expect for the Yankees to be competitive to have a chance to be able to uh, to be able to throw some starters out there they're going to get the job done and uh, obviously Pettit uh, you know it's amazing what he has been able to do and I think last year a lot of people get on him say hey the whole injury thing just remember that's a fluke injury that he got it wasn't like his arm blew or anything I mean you got to really pitched at an extremely extremely high level last year and almost surprising because he came off of obviously a year off prior to that kind of showed some signs of maybe being towards the end when he finally decided to retire and I think that with the New York Yankees Andy Pettit comes over here as the number three starter with a 
and higher up on a, on a radar when it comes to the Yankees as far as expectations. And in my opinion, Andy Pettitus's age, at over age 40 now, is a lot to ask for. It's a lot to ask for this guy to go out there and be able to perform at such a high level. And I and listen, I mean, he goes out there, he throws out innings, he pitches into the eighth, he continues to, you know, if he could go out there and throw 200 innings this year, I think it's something that would be phenomenal, be really, uh, really, um, you know, a, a great story. But the, the logic of it, you want to look at it from a logical perspective and see if it's something that really has a probability saying that there's a chance for that to happen. I, I don't believe in it. And, I, and, and it's not that I don't believe in Andy Pettit. Andy Pettit has had a phenomenal career. He deserves to have his number 46 retired by the New York Yankees. He deserves to be looked at as one of the better pitchers in the New York Yankees history. You look at Whitey Ford, uh, Ron Guidry. I would probably name him number three after those two in regards to the best left-handed pitchers that the New York Yankees have ever had. But to expect him over age 40 to be able to go out there and throw seven shutout innings every I know, I know that's Andy's goal. I know that's what he wants to do this year. I know Larry Rothschild and Joe Girardi and Brian Cashman all want to see this happen. They want the possibility that he could go out there and have another vintage Andy season. In my opinion, I just don't see it. And I, I do think it's going to be a problem for the Yankees going. Everybody says that the Yankees' rotation is such a strength. And it's, it's a given that this, this rotation is going to be able to go out there and allow them to get the job done and keep them in a lot of games and save an offense that may not score as many runs as it's been capable of over the past several seasons. I don't. I'm not as high on a rotation as, as other people, particularly because of Pettit, particularly because of Hiroki Kuroda and his age. And as, as Ken um, of, uh, you know, alluded to before, CC Sabathia, you, know, you, you don't really know what to expect with the velocity going down. And yes, he threw to Detroit last week, and he did. But his ability to be the ace, the Yankees are going to want him to be a bona fide ace. They're going to want him to go up there against the Justin Verlanders of the world. And I know the Yankees won that game the other day. But he, he is projected to go against an ace just about every Yes, he's used to it. There's no surprise about it. It's not like CeCe Sabathia is Dylan G going up against Cliff Lee. I don't think it's that crazy. But looking at it from this perspective and this point of view, the Yankees are going to have to get a lot out of some other starters, not just Kuroda and Pettit, because I don't think they're all slam dunks. They're not guaranteed. You're not guaranteed to get a vintage CC Sabathia season. And if you don't, what happens? you got to rely on Kuroda to be your ace. you got to rely on Andy Pettit to be your ace. And you know you get into guys like Phil Hughes and Ivan Nova. Their role in the starting rotation is so much more important. It's so much more important than it's been in the last couple of years. And I know you could say that Hughes is, is on his, his walk year of his contract. He's got a chance to go out there and get himself a big contract next season. But what can you get 18 wins at him? Can you get 15 like he did last season? I, I don't know. On, a, on an offensive team that's not going to score as many runs. You know, let's, let's get over what happened in Cleveland the last couple days because they're not going to put this amount of runs on the board on a consistent basis. Whether you got well, these guys are not going to produce at this level all season. And, yes, you get Teixeira back. You get Granderson back. You get the whole kind of Yankee lineup back to the best that it could be the way the team is constructed now. But this is a team that's going to see a lot of home runs drop off. The team is not going to be able to produce as many runs as it did last season and in years prior. And obviously, you look at what happened in a postseason. So there's got to be some concerns. And everybody that just looks at the Yankees starting rotation and says it's a lock, that says it's going to be fine, that says there's not going to be anything, I, I think there's, you're a little mistaken. I think you're going to be a little off with this. Because the Yankees are going to have to win some games offensively with the bats. They're going to have a game that Pettit goes out there and gives you a three. You're going to have a game that CC, you know, is a little off in command and his fastball is getting hit because he's not hitting 90. Once that happens, you're going to need other facets of the game to pick up. And when the Yankees, what they've done in the past, when they can always go back and say, listen, we'll start swinging for the fences, we'll hit some more home runs, we'll score some more runs, we're going to win some games 10-8 to eight and make up for some lackluster starting pitching. You have that to fall back on this year. And I think that's very important. That's something that has to be looked at when you're judging the New York Yankees.
So once again, this is John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. I'm going to be up with you until about 6 o'clock today. Uh, we're going to take our first break of the day. And, uh, you know, we're going to jump in. A lot more stuff going on. Rio's coming up. So uh, be back with a little more stuff after this. Passball Show. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Opinion of it. I think it was put that in. I don't So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the ring. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say, I would know, but I would say the reason why they want let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. Oh yeah, welcome back, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, and of course, this is John Pielli, till 6 o'clock today, and of course, um, we're going to reach out right now, hopefully, and we'll see how it goes out, I may have to redial this number, uh, oops, there you go, and we're going to reach out right now to former Major League outfielder Armando Rios, and uh, we'll see how this ends up turning out, hopefully it'll be a little better today, which... Unfortunately, it didn't work out too well, but uh, hey, it happens, man. It's what you take chance, and I say it all the time. What you? Uh, hey, is this Armando? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? It's John Pielli, Passball Show on TR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Okay. Hey, welcome aboard, man. Listen, uh, you know, first out, um, you know, I want to talk about, uh, you know, kind of, kind of your playing career a little bit and what you're up to now. First, uh, what, what are you up to now that you're, uh, you're, you know, you're no longer playing professionally? Well, I do have a I have a family. Uh, I work with uh, young kids and uh, kids uh, 14 years and up. We work with every age. You know, we do camps and we do uh, clinics. But we uh, we raise money for scholarships for going to high school, baseball prospects, uh, low-income families. No, that's and uh, I do have a team that I train, and then I'll, I'm the leader of our, our youth ministry leadership. Now that's awesome, man. Once again, it's John Pialli. I'm here with Armando. How did, you, how did you get the whole thing started? Was this something that you started on your own? Well, not on my own. I mean, not on me. We've seen people meet, and uh, people, a lot of people help me out. My wife, uh, I'm the oldest daughter. Uh, just different people have uh, pretty much been there within the new areas for help, and uh, we just put it together as a group. Nah, that's awesome, man. And, you know, like I said, best of luck with it. Hopefully it continues to work out and you're able to help a lot of younger kids kind of reach you know, reach their goals and their dreams and stuff like that. Your career in uh, you know the late 90s you're drafted uh, yeah you're drafted by as an amateur I'm sorry signed as an amateur free agent with the Giants in 1994 tell us a little bit about your path to the major leagues going through the minor league system with the Giants and stuff like that uh, and what your uh, what your debut in 1998 well uh, I was very blessed to be able to go to LITU in college and be part of the national championships and enjoy that very well and uh, when we wasn't drafted by the Giants, but I have a champion, and, uh, like you said, I was signing with them, and uh, it was a good time in the minors. I was treated well, given an opportunity to play and develop, and uh, enjoyed my time there, learned a lot, and until um, 98, when I was able to get, come up to the biggest, it was a good experience for me. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, it's John Pialli. I'm here with Armando Rios. Now, you know, 1999, you kind of broke out and 
got off to a real good start. He hit 327 that season. Um, after you know playing in a couple games a year before, hitting a couple home runs. Uh, tell us a little bit about the 1999 season. How you're getting your feet. You know, play all three outfield positions, kind of being a, you know, you know, starting to become an important member of the team. Tell us a little bit about 1999. Well, 1999 was uh, a big year. It was a lot of fun. I was able to play with a lot of older players and be some Kansas State Park, so that was special. And uh, being able to get to play a lot, you know, I guess for my first year, really first year, um, it was, it was the best year probably that I had in the big leagues, experience-wise. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of veterans in there. A lot about the game and things I teach the kids now. And great uh, atmosphere to play in. And uh, I'm. Yeah, very well, man. Once again, it's John Pialim here at Armando Rios. Now, you know, in 2001, you're involved in a Pittsburgh that brought back Jason Schmidt. Tell us a little bit about being involved in that trade and then your your time in Pittsburgh. Well, in '91, like you said, I was uh, I was involved in a, in a big trade for the Giants. Um, um, I was just for me being able to really get to play every day in a young team. And I got my uh, my knee in the very first game with the Pirates at Giants at the Giants Park and. So I missed pretty much that opportunity that year. The rest of that year was going really well. And then uh, the next year back and wasn't really helping out. And so um, it was a good time with the Pirates. Uh, just being there, the city was great, but not being able to play much at an unsung level. But that was kind of a little sad. But um, being in a new city and a new, new beginning for me was, uh, was exciting, even though it wasn't actually good at the end, but it was exciting. Yeah, and then you get you get a chance, of course, in the 2002 season to play with the Pirates. Um, you know, you know, as as you move forward, it looks like your 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 last experience is 2003. Now, tell us a little bit about you know moving on later, and as you know, you get into your early 30s, and you know, you, you end up playing a lot in uh, in AAA with Baltimore and St. Louis and the White Sox organization. Um, you know, is there is there any point where maybe you you, you lacked maybe the same confidence that you were going to get back to the major leagues or were you as determined the entire time to make it back until the very last day? I was always determined. I was always determined. I had two, I was two years in a row that I had major surgery. So I had my elbow redone. I told me that I had my whole knee reconstructed and I was you know, happy all the way. And in 2003 season, I was healthy and I went to the, to the American League to the White Sox but didn't really have much opportunity to be in the American League uh, we had a, a very different not being any really pinch hitters or anything in that league uh, either you start or you stay on the bench and yeah. it was one of those years that you have, have to wait for your opportunity and but it was a long year for me we didn't really get many opportunities and but it was a great team that I enjoyed being with made new friends and but after that, uh, I signed a free agent. I don't even remember who, and I had another injury, and I kind of went around, jumped in some couple of teams, and uh, my wife in 2003 was diagnosed with MS, and uh, after that, I, you know, I tried a little bit of play, but really, I didn't have a, a drive to really be away from the home. My wife needed me, so. Uh, much after that call it quits and uh, you know missed it but I, I, uh, I had a good time while I was there it was good and uh, I'm home with my family and uh, raising my kids and it's great so my whole time doing it what I did I was trying to make it all the way back but all the time take care of and uh, be home present and that uh, I'd be another day took over yeah, no question about it. And listen, it's, it's not for a lack of effort, but you did, you did get a chance to play in the 2007 Caribbean Series. And you obviously, you did a, did a very good job. You led the series in average and on-base percentage and slugging, making uh, the series all-star team. Tell us a little bit about the 2007 Caribbean Series. Well, even though I started start playing in 2003 at the Major League level, I've always played uh, different leagues in summer, summer. Play winter ball 
uh, and I was able to do real well for actually a friend for three years ago. And, uh, um, you know, I, every year that I played, I've enjoyed, and, uh, and I can't really think once about 2007, but because I was able to get serious and, and do well. But I know every one of them that I went, it was great, it was special, representing your country and, and uh, being able to play against winter league players that were playing winter ball, so, you know, it was a good experience. About it. Hey, before I let you go, Armando, tell, tell us a little bit about how, um, you know, the listeners could get, you know, get a hold if they want to be part of your, your foundation. Well, they can, they can find me on Facebook, you know, like, uh, I guess like everyone now, but they can also go to uh, Funda in Spanish, ArmandoRios.com, um, and check, check us out and different activities and camps and travel teams and stuff that we offer. And uh, we do seminars and, you know, also I've been working with Major League Baseball doing seminars throughout uh, Latin America. So every few months we go to a different country and do, uh, do clinics and do uh, seminars. So we're there too. But pretty much uh, Fundacion Armando Rios.com is the place. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, Armando, I want to thank you for having some time today. Appreciate you having a couple minutes, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, best of luck with the foundation and everything. And hopefully, I could get you on sometime in the near future. Thank you guys for the chance, and I hope you keep guys keep doing well and uh, everything works out. Thank you. I appreciate talking thank to you, Armando. You. Take care. Yeah, it was Armando Rios, former uh, Major League uh, outfielder, the Giants, the Pirates, a little bit with the White Sox. Uh, of course, the 2007 Caribbean Series, uh, some time with the Long Island Ducks amongst uh, places he ended up uh, being part of. But we're going to take a quick break, probably or so, and uh, you know we'll be back, finish up the first hour of the Passball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin'. And Joey Baboots. We host a morning show together, and every morning we start up our cars and make the drive up to the studio. And you know, two accidents along the way, and we wanted to make sure our listeners know where to go for the best in car care in South Jersey. That's right, James. Red Rose Body Shop. That's Red Rose Body Shop. Specializes in collision and framework. They're the best in South Jersey for paint and body work, unibody framework, free towing, and today 609-927-9454 and check out their website www.redroseautobody.com follow them on facebook and twitter red rose body shop 2033 ocean heights avenue egg harbor township new jersey 609-927-9454 red rose body shop is south jersey's collision specialist 609-927-9454 or redrosebodyshop.com been in an accident Take your car to the professionals at Red Rose Body Shop. Oh, yeah. Video Network. Of course, John Pielli finishing you up here. And a couple things I wanted to get get to. Of course, you know, I want to wish my daughter a happy birthday again. And uh, hopefully I'll be home soon with the, with you and the family and the whole thing. But um, Zach Wheeler, in my opinion, was a guy that I think the probably should wait their time with in regards to bringing him up to the majors, getting him up there, put him in the rotation. Uh, you know, obviously we know he's the future of this team. And, you know, I, I believe that up to a point. And I've hit a point where you watch the last couple games in regards to the, you know, the, the these games over the last couple days, you see G get hit up, you see Jeremy Hefner get hit up. And then you look at the fifth start spot of the rotation and it belongs to Aaron Laffey. And in my opinion, I understand, and, I, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that I understand the fact that Sean Markham is hurt right now, back Santana to be injured. But the Mets are not in a position where they necessarily have major league type starting pitchers to run in there now. And what they're doing with Zach Wheeler, obviously we know some of it has to do with uh, maybe they're not 100% convinced that he's ready for the majors yet buy and the other part is uh, financial which we know it's just about all financial the Mets would like the other year of team control with him and if he does become what he becomes then the Mets would like to hold on to this guy for a long time and not have to pay him a lot of money but my opinion right now has changed 
not what it was before. Because before I said, hey, listen, you know, the Mets have some guys that could run out there. And I don't think the Mets are going out there by any stretch of the imagination trying to be any more competitive. I don't think they're going out there trying to shock the world. They're not trying to win a World Series this year. But the Mets, just like any other team, right to its fans to put out a major league caliber team and I do think that the Mets when you look 1 to 25 on a roster for the most part they do put a major league team out there regardless of what some fans want to think when when they look and say oh my god you know how come they don't have stars here stars there we know ridden team you know this team doesn't have an all-star at every position but in my opinion the majority of the 25 men on this roster right now are major leaguers that being said the one spot that I don't think that they fully live up to that level of having made rotation. And you may disagree with me. I understand that. It's fine. But one and two are solid. You know, with Neeson Harvey, you got Dylan G, who in my opinion, and I've said this before on Wire for Sports, I've said this on the past ball show, I've said this on a number of occasions, Dylan G is a number four starter. So the Mets brought in number three, which is fine. But he's hurt right now. It happens. Jeremy Hefner is essentially filling in for Johan Santana, being the kind of swing man, the number six guy who could be a number five for you. Right now, he's a number four starter. And you throw in Aaron Laffey, and Aaron Laffey might not be a terrible pitcher. Aaron might be a league pitcher based on his experience. But for Aaron Laffey to go out there and potentially make 30 starts for the New York Mets is laughable, is a joke. No pun intended, but it is an absolute joke. And the Mets, when they have a guy... With the, with the ability of Zach Wheeler, you know, with all the hype, everything's getting up there more and more and more that you think this guy is going to be better than Matt Harvey. He's going to be an ace. He is going to be the number one of the Mets rotation from years to come. If he is, he can handle a couple starts right now in the major leagues when he's And right now, the Mets don't have two or three or four pitchers pitching at AAA that you would see up there reasonably more than Zach Wheeler. And it's not it's it's not a knock on the pitchers that the Mets have down in AAA. But the Mets have exhausted their options. They've gotten to a point where it is time to bring in Zach Wheeler. And 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 let's let's look at this one point and I think you know some other hosts on the radio station have made the same point. Zach Wheeler goes up whether he comes up this year or next year and he's the real deal. And he goes and I'm not, and I, listen, I'm wishful thinking here, but let's say he goes 12 and 4 this year when he finally comes up. If it's June or July, he goes 12 and 4 this year. Next year in his first full season, he goes, you know, he goes 16 and 10. And then after that, he. What do you think the Mets are going to do? The Mets obviously are going to negotiate a contract extension. They're going to bypass some arbitration years. They're going to pay the guy. The guy's going to make money. The guy's not going to make minimum salary for the first four years going out there winning 16 to 20 games. And I think some of them are taken aback by that because they don't understand. If a pitcher establishes himself, if a pitcher becomes a star, a number one and is only 23, 24, 25, 26 years old. The team is going to have, they're going to take care of him financially. I just don't understand why people are just thinking that if you let Zach Wheeler sit in the minor leagues, whether it's two months, half a season, the entire season, that it's going to reap some financial benefits for the Mets down the road because it's not. You may save a couple million in one year, tops. Now you are just telling your fan base and you're telling the team that you don't care about this team at all. Because Zach Wheeler not only is the future, but he is the present right now. And it wasn't designed to be that way. Johan Santana, Markham was supposed to be here. It was set up that Zach Wheeler could develop in AAA for an extended period of time. You know what? Plans change. And it's not like Zach Wheeler isn't throwing strikes. It's not like Zach Wheeler is getting torn up. It's not like he's getting beat up. He's not ready for the major leagues. It does not hurt and will not kill to run this guy out there for a couple starts. And I will say this because I did hear this point too. You, you, that the, the whole psyche of being a young pitcher with all this talent, you don't want to get in the guy's head good enough. Listen, part of being an ace, part of being an elite pitcher, an elite player in this game... When you're talking about somebody that wants to be and strives to be the best, they don't get logged down in stupid stuff like that. 
it doesn't become a mental thing. People are not comparing Zach Wheeler to Mike Pelfrey when it comes to the, the state of mind. And, and who knows if that that's the case. Maybe he is another Mike Pelfrey. Maybe he's a guy that if he has a couple bad starts, he's going to let it get to his head and he's not going to be competitive and he's going to lose it. If that's the case, then all thought he would be. And you're going to have to find this out, whether it's, you know, July, whether it's uh, August, whether it's next April, whether it's two years from now, you're going to figure out what kind of mental toughness this guy has. And I'm not, I'm not out here trying to bash this, that he isn't mentally tough because, in my opinion, it hasn't been proven either way. But if there's fear, if there's fear from the organization, if there's fear from the Wheeler camp in any way that this guy may not be able to handle a demotion, then I have a hard time believing that this guy is this guy is going to be the ace of the future, that this guy is better than Matt Harvey. Because what Matt Harvey has shown you is that he has the chutzpah. He has the balls. To, to take the ball and to, to get a couple, get beat up a little bit and come back the next day. And I would expect the similar. And, you know, if you look at tools, if you look at what this guy has, if you look at this guy's ability, he has it all. His ceiling is certainly slated to be even better than Matt Harvey. We saw the whole Generation K thing. We've seen with other top prospects that you know we thought were going to be so good, and they never turned out to be what we think. But you're never going to find out with Zach Wheeler if you keep babying him. And I understand you may have him on an innings limit this year. You may not want to go out, you know, th this guy and let him go seven, eight innings every start. I understand that. You're going to have him on some sort of pitch count. You're going to have him on some sort of inning limit, whether he's pitching in AAA or pitching in the majors. He's still going to go out there and pitch every fifth day. And the Mets are at a point right now. And listen, this isn't about selling tickets. It's about selling tickets that you want to get, hey, the, the hot young prospect up so fans go out there and buy a ticket to the game. I agree with that, but I don't because it's not about selling tickets. It's about putting the most competitive team that you have on the field. Zach Wheeler is not pitching an A ball right now. Zach Wheeler is not in St. Lucie. He's not in Binghamton. You're not bringing him up where he shouldn't be right now. He's pitching in AAA. He was going against major league hitters in spring training and throwing, as scouts said, effortlessly. Going out there without a problem. Going out there and striking batters out. Hitting his velocity. It's a little off, but he, he had the tools to show that he could pitch at the major league level. And the Mets, unfortunately, the plan has changed, in my opinion. When you're running, Dylan G out as your number three starter, and Jeremy and Laffey as your number five, and you don't have another viable option to compete with that. Nobody else is taking Aaron Laffey's job right now. Aaron Laffey could go out there and give up eight runs each of his next four starts, and there is nobody slated to replace him unless Sean Markham comes off the disabled list. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know the extent of his injury. The Mets may even be holding something back for all we know. I, and, and I've have had a weird feeling about it, and I'll tell you. And, I, and you know, I'm going to get into Markham for a second because I love the signing. I like Sandy Alderson going out there and giving him a four contract with some incentives over one year. I thought Sean Markham was a kind of pitcher that can go out there and and get more money, more years. He could get a two-year deal. I didn't think that was so silly to see him getting a two-year contract for about, you know, 14 million, something like that. If a team had shocked. But the Mets go out there to get him one year, four million, some incentives. I, I thought it was a very good deal by Sandy Alderson. But ever since spring training, ever since Sean Markham started missing starts in spring training and rumors came that he was going to be on the season, is it me or have you noticed that there's been a lot of vagueness in, in the extent of his injury? Is this something that's going to be more serious than we end up thinking? Is this something that's going to happen down the road where he maybe gets shut down for the entire season? For structural to the arm. But I tell you, you know, you'd like to see him pick up a ball. You'd like to see a timetable of when he's going to start throwing again before you start believing that this guy is going to be part of the major league rotation anytime soon. That being said, you're signing up for that when Aaron Laffey getting the ball every fifth day. And I understand if he goes out there and he bombs, if he goes and he stinks and he gets rocked every time out, Obviously, after the fourth or fifth start, you're going to start to look to replace him from somewhere. But I, I don't think the Mets should wait for that to happen. 
bringing Zach Wheeler in, and it's exactly what I said before. You're bringing him in to, to, to heal. You're bringing him in as a Band-Aid to break something that's broken because you don't have anybody else. Chris Schwinden is not coming up at any of the major leagues for an extended period of time. I totally believe that. So what other guys are you going to go out there? You know, Rafael Montero is still probably another year away. Domingo Tapia is probably two years away. Michael Fulmer, you know, he's hurt right now with the, uh, with, with, you know, with the, uh, the knee operation. So you see at least until next season. The other pitching prospects that the Mets have are further away than Zach Wheeler. And to, to see the Mets maybe go out there and get a journeyman type of pitcher, I actually would have liked to see them get Aaron Harang. I actually thought that would have been a good move for the Mets. He ends up going to the uh, to the Seattle Mariners through Colorado, <clears throat> and I think it could have been something that the Mets could have looked into and just said, "Listen, when Markham comes back, Markham comes back. Maybe Hefner goes back to being that you know kind of a uh, swingman, and then you could and then you could do what you want with that." But if the Mets go out there and decide that they're going to bring another bona fide starting pitcher in, then Zach Wheeler right now is your best option. And the fact that the Mets have not gone to it right now kind of bothers me. Will it change? Could it change a week from now? Sure. But, you know, as, as things are happy, uh, you know, they're going to skip a spot here, go with Nice to start the series in Minnesota tomorrow. But Aaron Laffey's getting a start in Colorado. He's probably getting a start after that. I mean, do you have to get it? And, and honestly, what the thing is, is that you don't want to see Zach Wheeler come up here and it's zero. What the Mets are doing is the exact opposite. They are they are setting it up to where the only way Zach Wheeler is going to come up here is to be the hero. When they're forced into it, when they don't have any other options, why not bring him in as the top option right now? Why not bring him in here and let him get three, four, and maybe maybe put a little a little a little pitch count there, hold him back a little bit if you need to. And then if, if you feel after those three, four starts that he is not ready to sustain himself in the major leagues for that, that amount of time, then you send him down and you could go to an Aaron Laffey. Right now, the Mets are exhausted if Laffey goes out there and doesn't get the job done. And what you saw the other day from Aaron Laffey against the Miami Marlins, in my opinion, was not very good. He did not look so good. And I, and I don't I don't know I mean uh, the Miami Marlins very good offensive team, and he he struggled with the plate. His I think his whip for the game was something, and, and obviously whip for a game doesn't mean that much, but you know he's given up about two and a half base runners an inning in his three three plus innings. Listen, the thing is you got to look at you got to look at this guy as a guy that's going to make not make 15, 20, maybe thirty, and you never know the way this is going to turn out. You may not see Sean Markham. And, and you know, you already know you're not going to see Johan Santana. So all that, I just think that you, the Mets' wisest decision right now, and it's different than it was a week or two ago. I really agree. I was not on board with wanting to bring Wheeler up so early. Now I'm sold on it. Now it's time. Forget about this stupid financial thing because the financial thing doesn't make any sense because if Zach, he's going to get paid in a couple of years because you're going to give him a long-term contract. Same thing with Matt Harvey. If Matt Harvey goes out there and goes 16-6 and six this year and strikes out 200 batters in 200 innings, I, I guarantee you the Mets are going to be discussing a long-term contact, contract extension this offseason. And that being said, the same thing's going to happen to Wheeler if he's that good. If he lives up to his end, he's going to get the security and he's going to be paid with the Mets. And I understand the Mets are trying to save money. They want to get a year or two where they could pay him the minimum salary to and obviously get the maximum sense it's business i understand it i do i get it but the problem is is that you only the only way you're going to pay him minimum salary is if he underperforms if he doesn't get the job done not not because if he goes out there and starts lighting it up and he goes out there and starts throwing seven shutout innings you know three starts in a row and wally backman saying wow this guy is good then what then when when are you going to bring him up are, is it really about saving pennies? It isn't. And everybody looks at the Mets as the organization that's trying to save pennies. It's not going about it logically. Because if Zach Wheeler goes out there and goes 15-5 and five in AAA this year, and you don't bring him up until September, the Mets are not going to save as much money as you think. You pencil him in to a situation 
regardless whether he's up here in April 11th or he's up there in July or he's up there in September or he doesn't pitch in the major leagues at all this season odds are you're penciling Zach Wheeler in as part of the Mets rotation in 2014 that being said him pitching now and if and if he is the best option if he is the best option when it comes to pitchers that the Mets have in their farm system or can acquire then he needs to be starting and unless the Mets are going to go out there and make an Aaron Harang type trade and bring in a journeyman veteran pitcher and hold a spot in the rotation, the best option is Zach Wheeler. And that's all I have to say about it. Once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. On the 6 o'clock hour, we're going to play the first part of my show from last week when I interviewed Don Slott and Mike Hargrove. So a lot of good stuff going on there. Hope you guys and happy birthday to my daughter, Alexis. She's seven years old. I uh, can't wait to get home and see her today. But um, com- coming in next week, I'm going to be down live at Hooters of Princeton. And it's going to be a remote broadcast. So we're going to get the whole thing going. We're going to see you know, see the whole atmosphere down there. I'm be sure to join me over in Hooters of Princeton, where I'll be on from 5 to 7 next Thursday live. Uh, you'll have the MTR crew, the whole thing, Hooters girls, obviously. So I hope you guys, uh, you know, if you're around the area, you want to take a road trip, take a look at it, see some live passball show, live PBS, who's the next week. But, um, you know, looking at looking around some of the things that are happening in Major League Baseball, we talked a little bit. I tried to with Ken Davidoff. I'll be honest. I mean, I don't think that interview went so well um, that it happens. You know, it's obviously my trademark statement. But um, with, with the with – I'm not buying the last couple of games against Cleveland. I know they went out there, they scored some runs, they they hit up some pretty bad pitching uh, in regards to the Cleveland Indians. Got went out there, got themselves a couple wins. They're at 500. They're four and four. Uh, more power to them. Great job. But my concerns are going to. I want to see where they are at the end of April. I want to see where they are at the end of May. I want to see when Derek Jeter and Mark Deschere and Curtis Granderson are coming back. And I want to take the temperature of the team when that happens. And once we do that, we'll get an idea. We'll get a, a, a of what to expect from this team going forward. Because the Yankees fully healthy are not as good as they were last year. And I'll say that right now. I mean, I understand Mariano's back. He's going to be great. You know, he's going to go out there and save 40 games and be dominant. Stop. But the Yankees are not as good as they were in 2012. And that counts what happened in the postseason when they struggled to score runs. They don't have the depth offensively. I have a fear with these starting pitchers, especially the older ones with Pettit and Kuroda. Make it easy. Ivan Nova, I still don't know what to make out of him yet. I don't think Ivan Nova knows what to expect out of himself. But you got, I think, it, to determine what you're going to expect at, from the New York Yankees this season is going to be based on what you see when these other guys come back. That's when I take the eight games, four and four. They could be eight and oh. They could be oh and eight. It doesn't matter to me. You take the temperature when these other guys come back and you see where the Yankees are. If they're 10 games under 500 when Derek Jeter plays his first game, then I think you're going to be concerned. If the Yankees are 10 games over 500 at that point, you're like, you're going to feel a lot more confident. A team that you know kind of impressed me this week, and you saw what they did to the New York Mets on uh, Tuesday and, of course, last night. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies went out there, showed they could score some runs. Obviously, they play in that bandbox of a ballpark at Citizens Bank Park. But uh, they did what they, they had to do. They had to go out just beat up on pitchers that weren't that good. And we mentioned about um, Hefner and Dylan G. And the Phillies have offensive players that are capable of beating those guys up. And they did that. So from the Mets' perspective, you say, all right, you're not going to win games like that. A Dylan Lee is not one to be in their own favor. And the Phillies are the better team right now. And I said this coming in, I think the Phillies are going to go out there and they're going to they're going to maybe surprise some people. I don't they're better than the 81 and 81 that you saw even without Holiday and his velocity and him struggling and the whole thing. The Mets beating them for the first time uh, in in, in uh, eight decisions wearing a Philadelphia Phillies uniform the other day. All that was standing. The bullpen is better. I like what we see offensively. Delman Young's coming back, and I, I think there's going to be Young. I've always been a fan of Michael Young, and I always get in these fights with people on Twitter about Michael Young. 
And I said this when he was still playing for the Texas Rangers. And everybody wanted to get on Michael Young for having a historically bad 2012 season and say, hey, this guy sucks. Uh, why would Texas did the way the Rangers treated this guy? Because he was their franchise player. And I'm telling you, he has something left. And you, you could see he, he, he catches up to the fastball just as well as he did when he was doing, when he's doing a phenomenal job. When he was hitting 338, which let's really go. And I think this is a guy that's going to have a big impact on this team. Dominic Brown, I expect to finally become what's been expected of him. And like I said, Delman Young coming back, being part of the mix, the whole thing, is going to be something interesting to look at. And they have the starting pitching. Even without Holiday being Holiday, they still have Lee. They still have Hamels. And yes, Hamels has to pitch a little better. Hopefully they can get a little more out of, uh, out of Halliday than we've seen so far. But I think this team is good. And I, I, don't, think, I don't think I know that they're better than the New York Mets. I know it's not a crazy statement to say. But it, they proved it by hit, you know, hitting up those two starters like they did. Kyle Kendrick is better than I think he gets credit for. He, he, is, he is pretty inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get start to start. Uh, John Lannon, I think, is a little bit of an upgrade over Joe Blanton because of what he can do and the fact that he's left-handed. Uh, I think the Phillies can compete. I really do. I, I don't think it's a crazy thing to say that they, could, that they could do better than the Braves and potentially compete with the Washington Nationals. But listen, I think it's too early to figure out either way. And five. I don't know if people are panicking down there. Obviously, a lot of you guys are from that area listening in. I don't, I don't see a reason to panic. You know, you got a couple wins against the Mets, a team that you're better than. And, and I think, you know, this is another thing that you look at. You obviously want to monitor the holiday situation. You want to see how he start to start. If he could, you know, maybe give you a little more encouragement, maybe give you the ability to get five or six innings out of him and maybe redefine himself as a pitcher like a lot of the greats have. And if he's able to do that, then I think it's going to be a bonus. But I do think the Phillies could win a lot of games without him. They are going to need somebody else to step up. They're going to need Hamels and Lee to pitch in an elite level. They're going to need Kyle Kendrick and John Lennon to pitch better than they're capable of. And maybe be 15-16 game winners. Because they got to make up for a guy in Halliday. Not the Halliday, not the 11-8 Halliday from last season with the 4 ERA. they got to make up for the Halliday that was going out there winning 19-20 games there saying that Lannon or Kendrick should or could go out there and win 20 games. But in my opinion, I think this is something that uh, you know they're going to need one of those other guys to step up. Or they need Lee or Hamels to be the best in baseball. But I, I do think it's possible. Once again, it's John Pialli, Passball Network. Wrapping things up for the first hour, of course. Make sure you tune in to the second hour. Listen to my interviews last week with Don Slott and Mike Hargrove. Next week, we'll be back with you from the Hooters of Princeton, New Jersey, live Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. I want to thank Armando Rio for being on the show today. Great job. And once again, we'll be back with you next week. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Show brought to you by johnpelly.com.